0: Listeners and Welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. Norma Janet Sims picks up the phone to call the Tallahassee Funeral Home and Ambulance Service, and the first thing to come out of Norma's mouth is... Something terrible has happened. Please come. Norma pleaded with the other person on the phone as she stood in her parents' bedroom looking at the bodies of her father, mother, and younger sister. This is the story of the murder of Robert, Helen, and Joy Sims. The day was October 22, 1966. And many of the residents of Tallahassee, Florida, were attending a football game and a North Florida fair. Tallahassee was known to be a small southern town. And like many other small southern towns in the 60s, this was a type of town where people didn't lock their front doors and they left their car keys in the front seat. Which I have to say, like, I wasn't born in the 60s. I was born much later. But I do remember those days when people wouldn't lock their doors to their houses Like, I even remember my grandparents never locking the door, but they always had a key in the front porch that everybody knew about. Like, (laughs) the whole family knew about it, and the neighbors even knew about it. So it wasn't even a secret, like, oh, I'm just going to hide it here in the front porch. Mm -hmm. It's like, everybody knew where that key was. So I kind of remember those days. I also do remember when people used to leave their keys in the front seat. But me and my brother used to call that, oh great, mom locked the keys in the car again and now we have to wait here for hours until my dad shows up to unlock the car for the 100th time. I was
1: wondering where you're going with that because I <laughs> never experienced that in my life besides by accident.
0: Like you said. <laughs> but it's the same thing, right? <laughs> totally not. Not the oh, same thing at all. it's not. Okay. <laughs> but after October 22nd, 1966, this would all change for the town of Tallahassee. Town locals would recall this day as the day that everyone started to lock their doors and the year that Halloween was canceled.
1: Wow, Halloween was canceled too? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So Robert Sims was 42 years old, and he worked for the Florida Department of Education. His wife, Helen Sims, was 37 years old, and she was a former secretary at First Baptist Church of Tallahassee. Robert and Helen had three girls, Norma, who was 17, Judith Ann, who was 15, and Joy Lynn, who was 12. On the night of October twenty-second, 1966, the two older daughters, Norma and Judith, were out babysitting, and... It's not like they were in the same house babysitting. So one went to go babysit for one family. The other one went to go babysit for a different family.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Because the big football game, I'm sure everybody was trying to go out to see that.
0: Mm -hmm. So while the girls were babysitting, Robert, Helen, and the youngest daughter, Joy, were home in what was supposed to be a normal, quiet night. But then at around 11.15 p.m., Norma arrives home to find that the television was on But no one was watching it, as she expected. She begins to walk through the house looking for her father, her mother, or even one of her sisters, but she isn't able to find anyone. And eventually Norma enters her parents' bedroom. And when she does, the scene she discovers is horrific. That was fantastic, Jose. You want to know what I just did? What'd you do? I just tried. I opened up, and you don't get any. I opened up the new wine that I received from Wine of the Month Club. So, do you, Jose, want to treat yourself or someone special to great wines month after month? I would love to. Well, now you can with Wine of the Month Club. With Wine of the Month Club, you get three different bottles of rare international wine every month. You get to choose from all red, all white, or mixed. You can also choose to do a package every two months or three months, if that's a better option for you. And every package ships with their monthly newsletter covering your selections and our listener favorites. Fun facts!
1: We are a proud affiliate, which means if you go to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com, Forward slash support the show and click on the wine of the club month link and sign up we will earn a commission.
0: You can support the show and get wine delivered to your door by using promo code holiday15 to get $15 off any 4 month club or you can use promo code holiday20 for $20 off any 6 months club which sounds like a win-win to me. You get to stay home during this COVID-19 pandemic, quarantine by yourself. And your wines.
1: And they ship free.
0: What? Hey, Jose. So you know that during this pandemic, it could even be scary to go to the grocery store sometimes?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, you can save yourself that trip using Instacart instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour instacart highlights deals to help you save money they find everything you usually buy you can get smart suggestions for new items they even pick the freshest produce and they keep your eggs safe too
1: we are a proud affiliate of instacart so head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show and click their link
0: Norma walks into her parents' bedroom to find her father, Robert Sims, laying on top of the bed barefoot, wearing his trousers and an undershirt. Robert had been bound, gagged, and shot once in the head. As Norma continues to look around the room, she finds her mother lying on the beige carpet. And Helen was also barefoot, but she was fully clothed. And Helen had also been bound and gagged and blindfolded. Helen had been shot twice, though, once in the back of the leg and then shot again in the head. Then Norma notices that laying diagonal to her mother was her youngest sister, Joy. Joy was wearing her nightgown, and she was also bound, gagged, and blindfolded. Joy had been shot once in the head, but she had also been stabbed six times on her stomach. Oh, no. Yeah. Sounds awful. Right. But surprisingly, this is like a horrible scene. But Norma discovers that the bodies of her parents are still alive. Really? Yes. And unfortunately, Joy was already deceased. But when she realizes that her parents are still alive, that's when she picks up the phone and she calls the Tallahassee Funeral Home and Ambulance Service for help. Now, I know what you were thinking, Jose why is she calling it a funeral home?
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. It, was like, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Right. And it is a little weird, but back then, 911 wasn't a thing. I can't picture that. Yeah. So it's like, if you did have a situation like that, you would call the, a funeral home that would also have an ambulance service. Really? Yeah. So again, that's why she called the Tallahassee funeral home. And because, like I said, Robert and Helen were still alive. Joy, unfortunately, she was already dead by the time yeah. that Norma had made the discovery. By the time that the ambulance had arrived, Robert had already passed away. Helen, however, was still alive. So she was transported to the hospital, but unfortunately, she would also pass away nine days after the attack. And it, Helen never regained consciousness, by the way. So she arrived. Oh, I see. Yeah, she arrived at the hospital unconscious and when she passed away, so they weren't able to get any information from her. One of the first investigators to arrive at the scene was 24-year-old Larry Campbell. Larry Campbell became the lead detective from Leon County Sheriff's Department on the case. And it looked like the attacks hadn't happened too long before Norma got home, which would later be confirmed by neighbors who claimed they heard screams at around 10.45 p.m. But nobody called the police because people just wrote it off as, oh, it's just kids playing around.
1: Yeah. I mean, just hearing how the neighborhood is, it doesn't seem like they they would ever consider something like that.
0: Right. No. So investigators at the crime scene said that there was no sign of forced entry and nothing had been stolen. They even said that there was some money that was like in plain view and it wasn't even touched. But they're thinking that whoever had done this seemed to know The Sims and had a personal motive for the murders. Detectives didn't have much to go by, so they started to interview The Sims' social circle, but that didn't provide them with much leads as they all said that The Sims were a typical family in a typical middle-class neighborhood with no enemies. They were just normal church-going people. And with no arrest, the community feared that the killer was still at large. And that's why there was no Halloween that year. There was no trick-or-treating that year in the neighborhood of the Sims family because people became extremely aware of their surroundings and protective of their families. So at this point, they're thinking, there hasn't been any arrests. I'm not going to let my kids go out and trick-or-treat from home to home when we don't even know.
1: Yeah, who it is? It could be the neighbor next door. You know? Right. That's really crazy for to go from one extreme to another like mm-hmm. that, and uh, it's just I still can't get past how gruesome those murders were. I can't imagine being the daughter walking in on that.
0: Yeah, that must have been horrible for her. Absolutely terrible.
1: And then the the parents to see their their daughter being killed, their youngest daughter being mm-hmm. killed in front of them, still being alive. You know, probably gasping for air. That's just mm-hmm. it's it's horrific.
0: Yeah. So. At first, the investigation focused on a high-profile member of the community. It was Pastor Cecil Albert Roberts. Now, Helen had worked for him at the First Baptist Church as a secretary, but she quit her job just a few days before she was murdered.
1: Oh, that sounds now, weird.
0: Yeah, and but the reason as to why Helen quit her job is not known. But there was a lot of speculation that Helen disapproved of Pastor Roberts' affairs with many local women. Really? Yeah. So even though they're looking at Pastor Roberts, it's kind of hard to actually pin him for the crime. As they start to see that there's actual like, remember, there was this big Florida State football game. And not only is there eyewitnesses that plays pastor roberts at the game but mm-hmm. there's actual video footage of him there oh, okay so obviously that's a dead end it doesn't go anywhere they have footage from the beginning of the game to the middle to the end
1: yeah i did a little bit of research on this case too and when i saw that they're really going in on uh pastor roberts I did see that there was only a small portion during halftime where there wasn't any video of him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that created a lot of speculation. Mm-hmm. The reality is he was then, they also had video right after, mm-hmm. um, once the second half started. Which is, reality is it's just a few minutes. You know, it's right. not that long. 30 minutes tops, you know. so reality oh, I thought can, it was
0: 15. <laughs>
1: 15, 20, 30, I don't know. It mm-hmm. kind of just depends, right? Uh, especially with a big game like that. I don't know how it was back then either. But is that really enough time to go and and do something like that?
0: And that's what police officers were trying to piece together. Is there enough time? And along with that speculation that was out there about, you know, oh, we don't recall seeing him during halftime, there was also speculation that supposedly he came back with different clothing on. So that raised some eyebrows. But police officers were... Able to again identify that they roll that out as I don't know town gossip, because they saw in the footage again. Wearing the same and the, thing. <laughs> yeah, wearing the same thing from the beginning, middle, and end. So
1: yeah, I mean, it's just it's just kind of crazy. I'm sure that gossip kind of stirred everything up with him being a pastor, having all these affairs that are coming out of nowhere. Right, and then oh, he wasn't a part of the game at that point in time, mm-hmm. and for somehow. You know, she quit a few days before. That's really odd. Maybe she's going to say something, you mm -hmm. know? So I'm sure that led to a lot of speculation. But yeah, it doesn't seem like that really makes sense if there's footage of him.
0: Right. And again, they weren't thinking that this was a robbery. There was no forced entry. Nothing was really ransacked in the house. The case went cold pretty quick. Now, there is a ravine in the back of their house Mm -hmm. which police officers actually went as far as drained it to try and because they were thinking maybe the murder weapon was tossed in the water so Mm -hmm. they drained it to try and locate a murder weapon and they they weren't able to find anything there is also like a wooded a big wooded area in the back and again nothing so the case went cold however there were other potential suspects And one of them happened to be a young couple that lived in the same neighborhood as The Sims. Mary Charles LaJoy was 19 years old at the time. And she was described as odd and obsessed with death. In fact, she'd been caught several times breaking into funeral homes to the point where eventually one of the funeral home owners had to, like, tell her, you got to stop coming around because... She was creeping out, the f- the owners and the people that worked at the funeral home. Oh, man. How ironic, right? She would like, I'd be creeped in? out as it is just working at a funeral home, like, you know, ghosts and stuff. But now, <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I would also have to be a little weird to work in a funeral and day to day have to deal with death. Mm-hmm. No offense to anybody that does that. It's just me personally. I think I would need to be a little weird but now you have this weird girl that's coming around I was like now she's giving me the creeps <laughs> <laughs> the like I do this lover. for a living but you no you got to go girl no yeah. <laughs> so well, her- I guess you
1: can really say that about a person who does a podcast about murders too so that may be kind of weird to some people
0: I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, don't offend the
1: funeral people. <laughs> we have a job to do.
0: <laughs> so, her boyfriend, Vernon Fox Jr., was 21 at the time. Now, Vernon was known to be kind of a loner, and he was also suspected of being a peeping tom. So much so that Vernon was even spotted peeping on Joyce Simmons a week before the murders.
1: Oh, and this is the the youngest daughter.
0: Yes, that's Joy. Now, neighbors claim that they saw Vernon looking through Joy's window
1: mm-hmm.
0: a week prior. So that's already kind of yeah, you know really close.
1: that's that's odd.
0: That's odd. Very coincidental. Now, okay, remember, the murders happened in 1966. Okay. And the case went cold. Now we're going to fast forward. Now we are in the 80s. And Mary Charles goes back to Tallahassee to voluntarily talk to the investigators and suggest that Vernon, by then her husband, had committed the murders. Really? Yes. So.
1: 20 years later.
0: Yes. She decides, you know, this little thing has been eating at me. Let me finally confess, you know, he did it. But her motives for her turning on her husband slash soon-to-be ex-husband
1: mm-hmm.
0: was a little suspicious. Because she started to show a lot of interest in that reward money that was up. Interesting. Yeah. So Something else that was suspicious about Vernon and Mary Charles was that police had talked and gotten statements from both of them, but they kept on giving conflicting statements to the police. But that's not enough evidence to arrest somebody. Right. So because of that, they couldn't do anything about it, but they knew because Mary Charles kept on saying... Well, what if I would have done it? What would happen to me? She gets on also saying statements like, "I might remember being in the house." What? Yes, and there's a lot of speculation as to how the detective that was handling the the interview, mm-hmm. as to how he handled it because of when Mary Charles said. What would happen to me if I were to say that I did it or that, you know, she was involved. And he said that she would probably be put away in a mental hospital. And there was a lot of of, there was a lot of controversy around that because they were saying that as a detective, like he should have probably just kept the conversation going a little bit longer because she was already fishing as to what would happen. I mean, I'd, a lot of the articles said, you know, that he should have handled it different. I don't know me personally that I would have handled it different because I don't know that. I I mean, I don't know what people were even expecting him to say. Was it to lie to her? Was it to say to offer immunity?
1: Yeah, that he can't grant. <laughs> you know what?
0: Yeah. Right. And it's like, but can he, can he grant that? I don't, you know, I don't know that I would. I probably would have responded the same way. Yeah. But when she was showing her interest for that reward money, she kept on saying like, well, what if I take that money and I go away to a nice mental hospital that can actually provide me good, good service?
1: So you're telling me she is going to. So she's not even. Confess. Mm hmm
0: but only if you put me up in like the best of the best. Oh, mental I, got, I, got, hospitals. I got you.
1: I got you. But confess e- even though she's a part of this, mm-hmm. but expect the reward money to pay.
0: Well, yeah, for because that. she's not saying that she was the one that actually killed.
1: She says The she family might have been in the
0: house. She's she's <laughs> claiming that Vernon was the one. Yeah. That actually did the killing. So I think that's why in her mind, she's thinking, I can get away with it. Or maybe my punishment wouldn't be as harsh.
1: Sounds insane. Oh, that's right. She's the one that breaks into the funeral homes, right?
0: (laughs) Yes. So Vernon has always denied his involvement in the murders. And he actually gave an interview. I was so curious to see what this guy looked like. Because I have to tell you, I you know, I need to see pictures to understand what, you know, what I'm reading. Yeah. And I need to see faces. And it's so hard to find, like, recent pictures of these people or, like, what they looked like back then. It was kind of hard for me. But I saw this documentary, and this is where Vernon actually gave an interview in this documentary. And so I actually saw what he looks like now. And the documentary is called 641 Muriel Court, which was actually the street where the Sims um, family lived. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, Jose, I highly recommend that you go and you watch it. It's a very good documentary. And like I said, it really does put, you know, people's faces into perspective. And I was like analyzing him the whole time that he was like talking like, there, there was, like, something that he said about Mary Charles, and he's talking about the first time he met her in the documentary, and he says this creepy thing, like, I saw her, she was jumping up and down in the bed, and it, it I'm telling you guys, you guys just have to go watch it. Hmm, it's yeah, like that sounds f- weird. It was just so weird. It just it gave me the creeps the way he said it, the way he was described. I mean, yes, this is now his ex-wife. But still, like, it was just I don't it was creepy. Like, I was just like, oh, don't be my neighbor. (laughs) Still today, there have been no other suspects and the case remains cold. And I feel like modern technology can help potentially solve the case you know like i'm just like i just watching this and reading all these articles on the murders you know it just it has me thinking like for example if they still have evidence so the materials that was used to gag blind and bind the family shouldn't they be able to just use the mvac to see if they can find any touch dna
1: what's an mvac
0: it's a wet vacuum forensic dna collection system that can detect like i said touch dna so
1: no that's pretty cool
0: yeah because that mvac has helped solve 40 year old cases cold cases and they might be able to you know do the same for this case because supposedly all of the three sims were restrained with household items such as neckties, socks, pantyhose or laundry. To me it's like when you tie a knot and you pull your hands, you know, through. You leave touch DNA. You're touching that material, you're touching that stuff. Right. So again, that touch DNA can give us an idea who was or who was not there in the crime scene. Yeah, that's but true. Again, during my research, I did read that there was a lot of errors within the crime scene. So I did see, and even in the documentary, they say that they didn't do a good job at securing the crime scene. The detectives didn't. Like, there was police officers that were putting out their cigarettes at, you know, in the living room, ashtray. Mm-hmm. That one detective figure it's going to be a long night, so he made a pot of coffee. At
1: the crime scene?
0: Yes, at the the house, house, which I'm sorry. No, I would have haunted you.
1: That's weird. I would have
0: haunted you. If I'm like you, need to take it easy
1: on the haunting people, okay? You
0: know, I'm going to put it out there. If I'm dead and you discover my body and you're like, I'm tired, it's going to be a long day or a long night, and you make a pot of my coffee, my coffee. (laughs) Best of sure. Your tummy would not be feeling too well two seconds (laughs) later and I will haunt you for the rest of your life. Yeah. But you know what I mean? So I understand that back then, maybe, I don't know, maybe a lot of this stuff, maybe they don't have anymore. And maybe that's why they can't do any of this touch DNA. But it's just kind of hard to understand because in the beginning, for some reason, police said, you know, that they didn't believe that it was a robbery. But they right. also stated that Helen and Joy had not been sexually assaulted, but Joy's underwear had been pulled down, which means sexual assault. Huh. Right. So then another thing that I that just has me thinking is okay, was an autopsy done? Cause that could prove if there was sexual assault or not, you know, was there such a thing as fingernail scrapings? Was it done? I mean, it's the 60s. To me, it's like, yes, that was a long time ago. But was it like, did they think about that? Like, did they look?
1: Yeah.
0: Was there defensive wounds? Was there bruises on Joy, on Helen, on even Robert? Mm-hmm. Like, was that any of that done? Can we go back, look at this evidence and see what we can get now with modern technology? Like I've said in the past, we've come a long way, you know, and... I just think that it just takes somebody to look at these cases and this evidence with a fresh, modern pair of eyes.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, hopefully, just the effort of op- reopening the case and looking at it again and mm-hmm. seeing what is actually still out there that can be used and see if we can get anywhere.
0: Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm sorry. I know. I went on, on my little rant. It's just so hard for me to believe that now with the technology that we have and forensics has come a long way. It's just, it boggles my mind to see cases like this out there. There are still cold cases. Like, really? How? But then I also go back and think, well, they probably back then didn't think about collecting this. They didn't know there was such thing as yeah. DNA, you right. know? But it's just, anyway, I won't, I will step down from a little soapbox but hopefully by sharing this story we can help shed some light or awareness to the case and hopefully we can bring some sort of closure to norma and judas simmons since you know they're probably still wondering what happened to their parents and their sister or why or who
1: yeah i there's no
0: there's no closure the for them. You know, it's like there's no closure. They don't know why this happened. They just know they go out one night, babysit. They think it's going to be a regular, normal night. And their whole life is turned upside down Yeah. by the end of that night. Yeah. You know, it's Absolutely just awful. it's horrible. And it's like, again, if we can just get a fresh pair of eyes to look at this evidence, to look at this case and. Maybe they'll get some of their questions answered.
1: You do through soapbox? hmm Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: And I know every week I do try to bring you a open case from the San Diego Crime Stoppers. And this week, San Diego County Crime Stoppers and investigators from the Sheriff's Homicide Unit are continuing to ask for the public's help in locating 50-year-old Arnaldo Luisa Franco. On August 10, 2018, Arnaldo's family reported him missing from Fallbrook. The last time Arnaldo had communication with anyone was on August 1st, 2018. At the time Arnaldo went missing, he was working somewhere in Escondido or San Marcos at an avocado grove. Anyone with information on the whereabouts of Arnaldo Loiza Franco is asked to call the Sheriff's Homicide Unit or you can contact Crime Stoppers' anonymous tip line. Don't forget that every tip that is submitted through Crime Stoppers is anonymous, so you can help and bring closure to Arnando's family. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at podcasttruecrimeweekly. And don't forget to support the show, you can always head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcast. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.